We're going to be in Luke chapter 3 this morning, and we're going to start in verse 23 uh, here in just a few minutes and go down to the end of that chapter, Luke uh, chapter 3, verse 23, down through 38, which when your eyes get to that, you can be praying for me that I'll be able to pronounce these names correctly uh, as we get through this. But uh, at Christmas time, we think a lot, or we, we're around a lot, I should say, whether we think about it or not. We think about trees a lot. I mean, we even have a couple of trees up here. We had giving trees at the back of the auditorium. You probably have a tree up, I'm guessing most of you, in your apartment or your home, uh, wherever you live. Uh, this morning, I want us to talk from this text about another type of tree, uh, a family tree. Uh, that's something, a concept a lot of us are familiar with. And I came across a quote uh, this weekend. It's been attributed, I couldn't run it down, I didn't have time, but it's been attributed to the guy who wrote Jurassic Park, of all things. Michael Crichton is his name. Uh, But his sentiment, I'm sure others have said things like it. He said this. He said, if you don't know history, then you don't know anything. You are a leaf that doesn't know it's part of a tree. That little image at the end I thought was poignant. That If you don't know history of the world or your own family history, then you're like a leaf that just thinks it exists on its own. Right, that forgets, hey, there's a whole tree, there's limbs and branches that have led to me and my existence. And I'm thankful that there has been, I think, I've only been around 40 years, but it seems in my 40 years that there's been a resurgence of sorts and people trying to learn about their genealogy, learning about their ancestors. With the rise of the internet and things like that, we're able to see who my great-grandpa was and who he was married to and what kids they had and go back in time. Uh, There's been a resurgence of this, and it's intriguing if you ever go down that road of, of trying to learn who your parents were. You probably know that most of you, uh, but then to learn who their parents were and their parents, and it gets broader and broader. It's very interesting. You can learn about long-lost relatives. You can learn about some heavier things, like maybe health issues that have run in your family, things like that. You can learn maybe why you have certain features or why you have certain skills or struggles uh, that you have in your life, uh, but it's a good reminder to you to remember you're not just a free-floating leaf, like that you've come from somewhere, that there's people who have given rise to you that you are not at the center of the family tree of humanity. You're out on the edges of it with the other seven or eight billion of us that are on this planet. And as we learn about our family trees, it can be kind of exciting sometimes. It can be discouraging. It can be depressing sometimes, even if you learn certain people are in your family tree. I did a little Facebook poll this week, uh, and it was interesting, the range of direct descendants that we come from, uh, just amongst my friends. There were some uh, who are friends of mine who said, they descended directly from Wild Bill Hickok of the Wild Wild West. I don't know what to make of that, to President Zachary Taylor. Uh, Some, I think, are even in the room this morning that are descended from him. There is even one who said they're a descendant of the guy who wrote the Rubber Ducky song, which I don't know what you do with that information, but uh, it's interesting to find out who we're descended from. Uh, But why I mention all that is is because the text we're going to read today is going to point us to who Jesus was descended from, who his ancestors were, who was further back in his family tree. This is recorded in the scriptures for us on purpose, for us to learn things about Jesus, but also I want us to see things about ourselves this morning, some things that, that we should take note of, of our own family tree and what tree we are part of uh, in God's providence. And so thankfully, long before the rise of internet or ancestry resources or those sorts of things, the, the writer Luke, uh, 
he recorded, he did research and he recorded a spirit-inspired true accounting of Jesus' genealogy, going backward in time from him. And so I'm going to read this for us in just a second. I would encourage you to follow along. But why we're doing this today? Why are we taking time out of Genesis? We've been going for a couple months through Genesis. Uh, The beginning chapters of it, we've seen how God created the world. And we've seen one human being, two really loom large, but the first one, his name was Adam. We've learned a lot about him as our first parent, so to speak, as a human. Uh, And why we pick this text today is because you're going to see as I read this that this is going to, Luke is going to draw a straight line through the family tree of Jesus all the way back to Adam. He's going to draw a straight line all the way back from Jesus our Savior to Adam. And so this is a text that's not super familiar to us. We're probably more familiar with the one at the very beginning of the New Testament in Matthew 1. Matthew recorded a genealogy. That's how the New Testament starts. Uh, His is a little bit different. Like his uh, is at the very beginning of his gospel record. Luke's is in Luke Three, right? Luke inserts it after Jesus is already an adult. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Matthew's, his, his works more like a typical genealogy where it works forward in time. Like it starts with the ancestors. It starts at Abraham and then moves forward in time. Whereas this one, when I read it, you're going to see it starts with Jesus and then works backward in time all the way to Adam. Uh, and then the, the most important distinction, I think, is that Luke's goes all the way back to Adam. Uh, Matthew starts at Abraham, so kind of deep in human history. Uh, Luke's is going to go all the way back to Adam. So I'm going to read this text. I think there's like 77, 78 names, something like that. So bear with me. That that's, makes it sound negative, but bear with my possible mispronunciation of some of these names because these aren't all common. And if you're a kid in the room, I'd encourage you, especially if you can put your eyes on it and see it, but even if you want to just use your ears and listen, see if you hear any names that get repeated. Because sometimes we, even in our families, we name kids after great-grandpa so-and-so or great-great-grandma, so-and-so. So when you go back in family trees, sometimes you're going to hear names are repeated. It's not the same person. It's just the same name. So maybe you'll notice a few of them. For example, just listen for Joseph. That appears a couple times in here. So I'm going to start Luke chapter 3, verse 23, and go down to the end of the chapter, verse 38. And like I said a couple weeks ago, I wanted to start something. We'll see how this goes. That after I read the text, I want to say, this is the word of the Lord. And then if you believe this, I'd encourage you to respond after I say this is the word of the Lord, then you would say, thanks be to God. Okay, four words that you can remember, tuck away, thanks be to God. But I'm going to read this text that Luke recorded for us of the family tree of Jesus. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathoth, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semyon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosum, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jerim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, 
the son of Meleah, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalaleel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. I want to walk back through this text, and we are not going to go one by one through this, uh, lest you be worried of how much time this could take. And a lot of them we don't actually know almost anything about. Uh, but I, I want to walk back and highlight a couple of these names in Jesus' family tree uh, to learn some things about who he was and about what he came to do. And this has everything to do with us. Uh, by the end, I want you to see it. This isn't just some ancient genealogy, but it has everything to do with us. All right, I want to start with the very first father that's mentioned in here. Luke begins his record by saying Jesus, when he began his ministry, was 30 years of age, being the son as was supposed, parentheses, of Joseph. Uh, so he starts by saying, that's just a doozy right off the bat, being the son as was supposed of Joseph. I want to point out a couple of things that we learn about Jesus right here, right off the bat. Those parentheses, the as was supposed, remind us of something that most of us know, but we need to be reminded of in today's world at times. It reminds us of Jesus' virgin birth, that he was conceived within the womb of a virgin. And so it, it was un understandably controversial or confusing to people to think, who is his father? Earthly speaking, how do we think about him? How do we think about his lineage, his descent? Who is his father? And so we, we know back from Luke's record itself in chapter 1, we know that Mary had been told uh, that she, she was visited by Gabriel and she had been told that she would conceive a child not through typical biological means, but by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. And so we know from Luke's record and even from this genealogy, Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. Jesus. He wasn't the physical father of Jesus. He became his legal father, right? He, he adopted him, uh, served as his earthly father uh, while he lived on this planet, but he was not the biological father of Jesus. So right off the bat here, you, you see this makes a genealogy complicated, doesn't it? Because it was usually traced through the fathers. So how are they going to uh, give a genealogy of Jesus? How, how would they go back in time? That's why I think Luke puts this parenthesis here, as was supposed. Uh, there's diff Some people interpret this whole text different ways. Uh, because the first several names here, if you compare that actually to Matthew's genealogy, there's very different names. So you're getting just a few generations back and you're scratching your head. How? Because Matthew seems like his goes through Joseph's line. So does this one. It seems like he's going through Joseph's line. So you're thinking, well, whose dad is this? Like, who, whose grandpa is this? And I don't have time to get into all of this, but there's different interpretations. Some people think that this whole reading that I just read is actually because of this parentheses. 
They think that this is actually tracking Mary's line, uh, that as it was supposed was the son of Joseph, but then they would say this Heli, the second guy, they would say was Mary's dad, and that uh, perhaps he didn't have any sons, and that Joseph, he, as his daughter marries Joseph, uh, he becomes legally, functionally a, a head of Joseph. That could be. I can't rule that out. But what my guess would be, and I, I could explain this more if you ever want to talk in private, I think he is actually tracking Joseph's line as well uh, that Luke is doing, but that he and Matthew are doing it differently, that one is tracking biological descent and one would be more tracking legal descent, which it doesn't take long if we think back some of us are adopted in our uh, own families, that if you trace your biological tree one way and your legal tree another, you're going to go in different directions. I don't know for sure which one is which. It's either Mary's line or it's Joseph's line, but he's clearly tying back Jesus's record through these men, going backward in time uh, from Joseph to Heli and so on and so forth. It's, I was thinking of the old show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? That's like, I don't know. I, I'm not sure whose line it is, but he's clearly tracking Jesus's ancestors on how they attach to him, whether it's through Mary's line or through Joseph's line. I don't know that that has huge significance, but he's, he's tying it through the fathers. But what this can't, this little record, as was supposed the son of Jesus, what it definitely can remind us of beyond his virgin birth is that Jesus was truly human. He really did have a family, right? This genealogy situates him in a real life family, Right? With a mom and dad and brothers and sisters. Uh, Luke has recorded stuff leading up to this already about how he was conceived within his mother's womb and delivered by his mother and how he had lived in a family, we see in chapter 2. And he had submitted to his parents and he grew in wisdom and in stature. He lived as a human being fully as we do. And I was thinking this week, God could have created a full-fledged human being of Jesus without inserting him into a family, right? He did that with Adam, right? Like, Adam was not some half-human because he didn't have parents. Like, he, God could have sent Jesus into the world as an adult. He could have sent him uh, as, as, a, as a man of his own accord, not descended from human beings, not having uh, this tie to Adam's family tree, but he wanted Jesus as a human to be situated on Adam's family tree. Like he wanted him to be seen as a full human being as us because this has everything to do with us, sons of Adam, daughters of Adam. He needed to be on our tree. And I just love the fact that Jesus, even from this record, had grandpas, right? And he had grandmas and he had cousins and he had siblings. Like we get to hopefully go visit some of ours today or tomorrow or in the days ahead. Jesus got to do the same things. He lived as a full-fledged human being like us. And so Luke starts there at the, the, the initial levels of Joseph and then Heli, but he keeps going deeper into Jesus' family tree. It's like he's peeling back a little bit, going a little bit deeper into Jesus' family tree. And I want to make a couple stops briefly along the way, and then we'll really spend the last time on the last two entries in this genealogy. But a couple stops along the way that I want you to note. Uh, the next one, if we want to think of if Jesus was like a leaf on that tree, if you go back to like the limb level, we'll get to a branch in a second but like a limb of the tree if you go to verse 31 deep into this is like 40 some names deep I think uh, you see the name at the end of verse 31 that he was the eventually the son of David this is hugely significant uh, that Jesus was an earthly descendant of the king David uh, because 
uh, about a thousand years before Jesus was ever born, uh, God had made a promise to this man, David, who was the, the then king of Israel. God had made a promise to him, a grand promise. I think this will be up on the screen. He had said this to David. He said, through the uh, prophet Nathan, he said, When your days are fulfilled, David, and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, so like one of your descendants, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will, hear this, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God had made that promise to this person earlier back in on Jesus' family tree that, hey, someday, David, one of your descendants that comes from you, uh, someday, I'm not going to tell you when, but someday there's going to be a king who will rule forever, right? And so uh, it is no wonder when you start reading Luke's record of Jesus' life, he makes a big deal to point out Jesus is a descendant of David, uh, that, that he could rightfully be uh, this king who would rule forever, right? Like these are they're probably familiar to you, these Christmas stories, when you go back and read the early chapters of Luke. When Gabriel first visited Mary back in chapter 1, before Jesus was even conceived, he had told her this. He said, the Lord God, talking about her son, he said that the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Right? So this angel had told Mary, hey, you're a descendant of David. Joseph's a descendant of David. Your son is going to be this king uh, that was promised way far back on our family tree. And then in, famously in Luke chapter 2 that we read, maybe some of you are going to read this tonight as a tradition, I don't know, or maybe in the morning in Luke chapter 2, the reason Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right, the reason he was born there was because Joseph and Mary had to go there because, there's this famous language, because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David, right? Like, so it's really important that Jesus was a descendant of David because then he could fulfill this promise, that God had made to, to have a king who would rule forever, a human king who would rule forever. And so even though Jesus was the son of a carpenter, right? Uh, even though he was the son of a carpenter, because he's a descendant of David, he had the right, the ability to become this eternal king, this Messiah that God had promised. So if we go back then a little bit deeper into Jesus' family tree, we're going to fly over some more generations, go back another hundreds and hundreds of years, maybe 700 more years, uh, deeper into the past, deeper and closer to the center of this tree, maybe at a branch level, if we want to think of it this way. I want you to look at verse 34. And in the middle of verse 34, there's a very significant name. He doesn't even get like the beginning or end of a verse. He's just like right in the middle of a verse, even though he's super important. It's this man, Abraham, that Jesus is said here to be the descendant, the son, long, uh, long ago, but the son of Abraham. He's a descendant of Abraham. And this is hugely significant. The Matthew, when he writes his record of Jesus, makes a big point of this, that, that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Because Abraham, if you don't know who that was, if he's just another name in this list, Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. Like he was the one where it all started, humanly speaking. He was the one that God had visited. You can read it back in Genesis chapter 12, where God had visited this man, and he had no children yet, but God told him, made these huge promises to him that someday he was going to make him into this great nation, right? 
And someday he was going to give that nation a homeland, right? And someday he was going to even, he said, bless all the nations of the earth through your descendant, Abraham. So he had made these big promises to this man, Abraham. And by the days of Jesus, when Jesus comes onto the scene, a lot of those promises has already started to be fulfilled, right? They had been made almost 2,000 years in advance of that. So they had started to be fulfilled in some ways. Abraham had grown into a great nation, right? The nation of Israel is massive at this point, even though small in comparison to other nations. But they had grown into a nation, and God had given them a homeland that they were living in, right? But it wasn't in this state of peace and blessing. They were under the thumb of the Romans. They, they, they couldn't live as they wanted to. They couldn't worship as they wanted to. There had been uh, complications. There was hardship to their life. So they were in a homeland but not really free, not able to, to worship, not experiencing the full blessing of God uh, that he had promised Abraham. And so they were, st- even at the time of Jesus, they were still waiting uh, for this descendant of Abraham who would truly, finally bring that blessing of God and then, by extension, bless the nations. They were still waiting in the time of Jesus. And so Luke's made a point uh, early in his record of, of Jesus' life to show that Jesus is a descendant not just of David specifically, but more generally of Abraham. Like when Gabriel had talked to Mary, he had said this to her back in Luke chapter 1. Or no, sorry, Mary prayed this in this prayer that we call the Magnificat, which is a beautiful prayer. Uh, she prayed this in Luke chapter 1, verse 54 and 55. She said of God, she said, He has helped his servant Israel. Hear this, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So Jesus' mother knew there had been these huge promises made to her ancestor Abraham, and she's rejoicing. God hasn't forgotten that promise, and his promise is actually about to come true through my son, which was mind-blowing to her. But it was very important uh, that Jesus was a descendant of Abraham, that he was a Jew, that he was an Israelite, was extremely significant. I don't know if it feels strange to you, but sometimes at Christmas we sing these songs that explicitly mention Jesus being the king of Israel, right? Like we sing the first Noel, and I'm not going to try to carry the tunes, but we say, Noel, Noel, born is the king of Israel, right? Or we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and we say as a request, and ransom captive Israel, like, I don't know if that ever feels weird to you because we're not, I don't think, and maybe some of you in the room are, but we're not Jewish. We're not Israelite people. Jesus came as an Israelite. He came as a Jew, and he was coming in part to fulfill these promises to Abraham and to become this king uh, in the line of David. So this is certainly, the arrival of Jesus was certainly good news for the Jewish people, Right? It was good news for the people on that branch of the human family tree uh, that, that came from Abraham. It was good news for them. But what about the rest of us? <laughs> like, th- this pro- these promises had been made to the Jews. They had been promised to their people. What about the rest of us, the other branches of the, the human family tree that we find ourselves on? What of us? What of you? But praise God that Luke's genealogy blows right by Abraham, right? Doesn't even stop. Like just goes right by him and and all of his significance and goes all the way back to Adam, right? 
Like he, Luke is wanting to, us to see as readers that Jesus wasn't just a descendant of Abraham, that he was a descendant of Adam, that, that he was squarely on this family tree. So I want to pause for a moment, talk about what this means, the, the second to last entry down at verse 38, where he says that Jesus, through all these men, is the son of Adam. We've been learning about him in Genesis the last couple months. We've been seeing things about him. We'll continue to learn a bit more about him when we return to it in the new year. But he'll about to be fading out of the scene. Uh, but why does Luke do this? Why does he go all the way back? Why does he take the time to trace all these names back to Adam? I, I would suggest to you, I think the reason he does this, and even the reason he puts it right here, in chapter 3, when Jesus is already an adult and not back tied to his birth, is because he wants us to see something not just about Jesus' identity, but about Jesus' mission, like what he was actually coming to do. He wants us to know who he was, but he wants us to know more so what Jesus was coming to do. Did you notice how this whole section started? It said, Jesus, when he began his ministry. And then he starts telling who he came from, where he descended from. He, Luke wants us to tie this connection back to Adam with what Jesus came to do, what he came to bring about. And it's hugely significant that he goes all the way back to Adam because Jesus, hear me on this, Jesus came into this world to save the sons of Adam, not just the descendants of Abraham, Right? He came into this world to save sons and daughters of Adam, not just sons and daughters of Abraham. There's this hugely significance that Jesus came to save people on the entirety of the tree, not just on this one branch, right? He, he came for the entirety of the tree. People on every part of this tree, Jesus came for us. And the Jews of Jesus' day, and I don't blame them for this, I probably would have thought the same thing, they had too small and narrow of a vision of what this Messiah was going to come to do. They thought he was going to come to just deliver Israel, to stick it to the Romans, to, to give us our freedom, to bring this blessing to us Jews. They believed that, but they had lost sight of that God said this descendant is going to bring blessing to you, but through him bring blessing to the nations. Right To all of the world, to people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, Jesus was coming to bring salvation to us. And I want you to think for a moment of this image of a family tree. Luke traces it all the way back to Adam, right? To the very base of this tree. And what we see when we come back to this base of the human family tree is that it has our tree that we are on, that you are on, at that base, has been severed from its roots, right? Like when God created Adam, he wanted him, he designed him to be the head of this race and the, the, oversee this world and that it would flourish and grow. But what we've seen in Genesis the last several weeks is that Adam and Eve, they sinned against God and that connection with God, that life-giving connection with him was severed once and for all, Right? God didn't fell the tree. He let it keep, in some sense, having life. There was descendants that came, right? There's Cain and Abel and Seth and all these people and us that have grown on this tree. But at the base of it, the base of the human family tree, it has been severed from our creator, right? And this tree has been around now for thousands of years. This tree that we are on has been around for thousands of years. But make no mistake, it is slowly dying, right? 
I was thinking of our Christmas trees. How many of you in your apartment or home right now have a live Christmas tree? Some of you? Okay, some of you. So you either went and bought one or you went and cut one down yourself. As soon as you do that, as soon as you cut that thing, it starts dying, right? You can put lights on it. You can put ornaments on it, tinsel, whatever. You want to put on a star on top. It is dying, right? It looks nice. Right now, a couple weeks from now, it's going to be an ash heap in your backyard or it's going to be a dumpster somewhere. And the human family tree, there is beauty to it. There's goodness to it. There's ornaments on it. There's goodness in it. We have the image of God within all of us, but I want us to make no mistake that Adam's family tree is dying. It is not growing to life. It is going back to dust. And we are on that tree. Like you are on that tree. I am on that tree. That's where we start our existence is on this dying tree. And we, as people who are on that tree, we need Jesus to come more than just save a branch of it that we aren't even on. Right? Like we need Jesus to plant a whole new tree. And somehow us to become part of that tree. And that is exactly what God sent Jesus to do. It wasn't just to rescue this one little branch of Adam's family tree, but to start a whole new family tree where he's the base of it. And where people could join it and never be severed from God. Jesus, the son of Adam, was coming to succeed where Adam had failed. He was coming to do what Adam was supposed to do and could not, and to even do more than that. He was coming to redeem us, to buy us back, and to start a new creation, right? But the question that is begged and that Luke's going to answer for us in the rest of his record, which you can read, and I'd encourage you to read, is was Jesus up for the task, right? Because I, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but there was thousands of men that had come before Jesus who were a son of Abraham, son of David, right? Tons of them. There's bunches of names of them right here uh, that, that met the criteria uh, of being a descendant of these guys that, that, that they could have, in theory, been this Messiah, this rescuer, but no one lived up to it. They all, we all lived just like Adam. They all lived just like Adam in rebellion against God. But the question was, would Jesus be any different? And I praise God that Luke's genealogy doesn't end at the son of Adam, right? A lot of commentators make a big point of this. They say, this is great that Luke's genealogy, it doesn't terminate at Abraham. It terminates at Adam. I was like, did you read this? It doesn't terminate at Adam. It terminates at God. It says that he's the son of Adam, the son of God, right? That's how this list ends is that Adam was the son of God, and Jesus, in a greater sense, is the son of God, capital S, son of God, right? So what's it mean that Adam was the son of God? Real briefly, Adam was the son of God, I think, in a unique way that I am not, that other brothers in the room, that you're not the son of God like Adam was the son of God, right? He was God's son, not in the way that he was conceived in some weird way, mystical, supernatural way like the rest of these sons of so-and-so are. Uh, but he, he was uh, created. These men were all conceived, right? Adam was created by God, and he had a special relationship with God where he was accountable to him, where he was the heir of what God had created. He was accountable to him, responsible to him. He was supposed to rule over his father's territory, his father's world, 
right? He was accountable to him, almost like a covenant relationship, not a biological one or a legal one, but a covenant relationship between him and the Heavenly Father. So he was a, a unique human being, the Son of God. But this language, Son of God, in Luke's Gospel starts very quickly getting used of Jesus as well. It's not used of other people. It's not used to talk about Joseph or Abraham or David or any of these guys, but it is used to talk about Jesus. That he now, as he comes into the world, is the Son of God, capital S. Uh, I, I keep going back to what Gabriel told Mary because it's important. When, back in Luke chapter 1, a couple of things that Gabriel said to Mary, he said of her son that he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And a couple of sentences later, he said, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Right? So Gabriel told it to Mary that he's going to be the son of God, this new son of God. Jesus claimed it himself. Like, we have one record of Jesus as a boy, and it's in Luke uh, chapter 3. Uh, it's earlier on, or sorry, Luke chapter 2, the end of Luke chapter 2. Uh, there's this story where he's, his family came to Jerusalem, his parents leave, God bless them. I don't know how you leave the Messiah and go on your own trip away and lose him, but they realize he's not with them. They come back to Jerusalem, and Jesus says to them, he says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Right? So he, even as a 12-year-old, was starting to say, I'm the son of my heavenly father in ways that these other folks are not. He knew there was something different and distinct about him. And then most importantly, God the Father himself confirmed this in the story right before the text we're reading this morning. When Jesus was baptized, what Luke records for us is that this dove comes down upon him. He says that the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven speaking to Jesus, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So it was promised by Gabriel, it was, uh, it was believed by Jesus himself, it was confirmed by God the Father. He is the Son of God, this new Son of God that is like Adam but better than Adam, that is intended to represent humanity, to interact with God the Father in a special way. But if Adam was the Son of God in ways that we aren't, Jesus was the Son of God in ways Adam wasn't, Right? He was better than Adam. He was different from Adam. He, Adam was a created being, right? Jesus Christ had eternally existed as God the Son. Like he, Adam was created in Eden. I'll say it this way. Adam was created in Eden. Jesus was sent from heaven. Those are different things, right? Jesus was sent from heaven as this Son of God. He had existed pre-Mary. He had existed pre-David. Pre-Abraham, pre-Satan, pre-angels. He had existed in all eternity past. And when he comes onto the scene, he is this God-man. This God who has become man. And so he had this unique capacity that Adam lacked. That when he goes toe-to-toe with the tempter, like in the very next story here, Luke 4, he actually wins. He actually resists temptation. He actually obeys his heavenly father, right? And how did Satan tempt him? You read the story. The first thing Satan says to him, he says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. 
Like going to the food thing is big to him, apparently. Like with Adam, he, he does it with Jesus now, and Jesus says no. Like I'm obeying my heavenly father, I'm trusting his provision for, for me. He quotes the scriptures back to the enemy, and that was just round one. Jesus continued the rest of his life, the years that remained. He had done it before then, he did it till his death. He obeyed and obeyed and obeyed and obeyed and obeyed. He was the true son of God, Right? But if he was going to redeem us, then I'll be done. If he was going to redeem us, if he was going to start a new family tree, it wasn't going to just be by resisting Satan or by setting an example for us, right? If he was going to start a new tree, he had to do something about our sin, do something about our judgment, do something about the wrath of God that should be coming upon us other sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, right? He had to suffer, not just set an example. He had to die as a sacrifice in our place. And that is precisely what he does. You read through Luke's gospel, and at the end of his life, Jesus is still praying at the end of his life as the cross looms. He's saying, not my will, Father, but yours be done. He's obeying even to the point of death. And at the cross, Jesus was taking sins of people like us onto himself. The innocent one was taking our sins upon himself than being put to death. And more than that, suffering God's anger and wrath and letting it be directed on him so that it might not be directed on us. And he bore it all fully at the cross to the point of death. And then he was laid in a tomb, having fully exhausted the wrath of God. Then on that Sunday morning, why we worship on Sunday mornings, that Sunday morning, just a couple days later, God started a new creation in the tomb, right? He raised Jesus up as this second better Adam, this new family tree, if you want to think of it that way, that is connected to the roots, right? The roots of God the Father that's connected to the roots with the Spirit and will never be severed, cannot be severed, right? And Jesus now says to us, I, I love this text. This is the last text I'm going to reference. The morning he was raised from the dead, there's this little line that Jesus said that I, when I first read it years ago, I just cling to it now. It's in John chapter 20, verse 17. He's face to face with Mary Magdalene, this resurrected son of God, uh, this new creation. And what he says to her, he says this to her. He says, and hear the family language that he uses. He tells her, he says, go to my brothers... And he's not just talking about his, like, Mary and Joseph clan that he grew up with. He's talking about his disciples. Go to my brothers and say to them, hear this. This is not an accident. He says this. I am ascending to my father and your father. Right? To my God and your God. He's saying, my heavenly father can be your heavenly father. Like you were severed, you were on this tree of Adam that's been severed from him. I've started a new family tree connected to him and you can join me on it, right? You can be part of this tree. And the way, I want you to hear me, every person in this room, and you may have been, you may have known this your whole life, this may be news to you, but I want you to know the way that you move from being on Adam's tree that is dying to Jesus' tree that cannot die and that is connected to God, is, has nothing to do with who your parents are. It has nothing to do with good works that you do. 
It's nothing to do with how generous you are and how kind you are and how selfless you are. You can live that way and stay on the tree of Adam. Right? The way that you are transferred to the tree that Christ has started, this tree truly of life, is by faith. By turning from your sin and placing your faith in that crucified and resurrected Son of God. And saying, man, I have rebelled against you, God. I have run from you. But I trust that Christ suffered for me and that you raised him from the dead. Please place me on his tree. Like, place me on your tree. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And he is glad to do that. He turns no one away who is turning from their sin and trusting in his son, the one he sent into this world long ago. He turns no one away. And so I I love this summary. I read uh, in a commentary, and I cannot trace back who it's attributed to, but it's so good I wanted to share it and end with this. It's this little pithy saying, four lines, that the Son of God became a son of Adam so the sons of Adam could be sons of God. That is good news, right? This Christmas, that the Son of God became a son of Adam so that us sons of Adam, us rebels against God, could become sons of God ourselves. Not something we deserve, not anything we could earn, but something that Jesus has gained for us. And that is good news.